Good afternoon and welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Leadership Tools and Strategies. So thrilled to have you in today. It's mid-April and we are just excited to be able to share with you in our continuing series on leadership in the nonprofit organization. So excited to have a wonderful guest with us today, Dr. Joe Raylan is an internationally recognized scholar in the fields of work-based learning and leadership. He is the Asa S. Knowles Chair of Practice-Oriented Education at Northeastern University in Boston. He's also Professor of Management in the School of Business there. We're so thrilled to have him in, and we'll dig into who he is a little bit more in just a second. As always, I am your host. I'm Todd Greer, Executive Director of CenterVision Leadership Foundation. want to remind you about some really important programming options. As always, we will follow up our conversation today with our hashtag nonprofit chat Thursday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. Invite you to join us at that time as Dr. Joe Raylan will be chatting with us. He'll be chatting with our Twitter audience as we think about being leaderful in our organizations and creating leaderful organizations and leaderful practice. As always, I want to remind you about the magazine. It dropped earlier in March, Nonprofit Performance Magazine. The March issue featured a focus on millennials in the nonprofit world. And also want to keep you posted, our June issue is going to focus on giving for impact. So these are great opportunities for you to take a look at the magazine. Check it out, centervisionleadership.org slash magazine. If at any time you miss one of our nonprofit exchange episodes, you can always check it out, hangouts.centervisionleadership.org. Enough about me, enough about us. I am thrilled to have with, un with us today Dr. Joe Raylan. Dr. Raylan, thank you uh, for being with us. Thanks for making time in your busy schedule to join us here at CenterVision Leadership Foundation. Well, it's good to be with you, Todd. Looking forward to it. Yes, and, and, and folks, let me tell you that there's, there's a longer backstory to this. It's not every day uh, that you have somebody whose work that you uh, have read and you look up to and, and you've been waiting for some time to have a, a real conversation with that you get to, uh, but I will tell you this, uh, Dr. Joe Raylan has been a, a, a mentor at distance uh, to me for some time. In my doctoral work back uh, earlier in this decade, I uh, was blessed to be able to uh, read his work, uh, his book right here, Creating a Leaderful Organization, Creating Leaderful Organizations, was one of those texts that in my graduate work absolutely uh, shaped the way I thought about leadership, and I'm so thrilled to be able to have him in. Uh, Dr. Raylan is not only the author of that book, but he's also the author of uh, Creating Leaderful Practices, or Leaderful Practices, and we're going to try and pull that image up if we can get that set. Uh, but as we do, Dr. Raylan, if you would, would you share with our audience a little bit more about who you are and about what you do? Oh. Okay, uh, and, and Todd, you can call me Joe, and as uh, you introduced, I'm the Knowles Chair uh, of Practice-Oriented Education at, at Northeastern, and I was formerly a professor of management at Boston College. So I do a lot of uh, research, uh, writing, and uh, consulting in the area of uh, talent development 
uh, focusing in particular on executive education through the use of action learning or work-based learning as you referred to earlier. And uh, uh, the two books in the leaderful domain, uh, one you showed everybody, the uh, Creating Leaderful Organizations, and the second one, uh, it's the more recent leaderful field book, Strategies and Activities for Developing Leadership in Everyone. Uh, that was designed to accompany the first one with more practical strategies for putting leaderful into effect. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're having a little bit of technical difficulties. I'm trying to get the uh, second image pulled up here. Uh, but it's a, uh, you'll see the link on the web page here for both uh, creating leaderful organizations as well as the leaderful practice. Uh, you'll be able to see those, be able to pick those up uh, on Amazon and, and go through with those. Uh, there's an interesting term here that I think hits everybody if they were listening closely as we've been talking so far, Joe, is this concept leaderful. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a term that sounds a little bit different, and you, you kind of coined that term, well, I should say, you in conjunction with others, maybe writing at, at around the same time, have, we're talking about this concept of leaderful, but you coined the leaderful organization. What exactly, what does that mean? I get asked that, as you can imagine, quite a bit. So let me ask you, uh, Todd, uh, have you ever been with a team that was, uh, let's say, humming along like a single unit? Working together was a joy. Uh, each member had a specific functional role, but seemed uh, almost implicitly to support one another uh, when warranted. And any one of the members of the team could speak for the entire team. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's probably a rare thing for most people, but I can think in my own life there have been a couple times where it's almost as if. There's never a gap. There's never a gap. It's always kind of this holistic piece. Everybody's working together, um, and we all have ownership. Is that what you're talking about? That's right. And and years ago, uh, when I started uh, teaching in the MBA program at the, at BC, um, I asked people what would they call such a a group. And and this word was popular at the time. You still hear it. And the word was, oh, uh, professor, it's a leaderless group, mm. leaderless. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, I was not very comfortable <laughs> with that expression because it's certainly not a group deprived of leadership. Sure. Right? As you were saying, everybody has this ownership. Every Everybody feels like they're participating in this community. I'll use the word community to just refer to a, a setting where people as, assemble to accomplish work together. So it's not leaderless, it's leaderful mm -hmm. uh, because everybody's participating and not necessarily sequentially, you know, one at a time, yeah. participating concurrently and collectively, in other words, at the same time and all together. So that's where I came up with the idea, well, let's call it leaderful. And I, and I love the term, uh, one, because of the image that it, it, it certainly conjures up in my mind about wouldn't everybody love an organization that had this fullness uh, of leadership there? One of the things that you paint in your book and you paint in your research is kind of a, a contrast. Would you take us through a little bit of what that contrast looks like between leaderful organizations and that typical concept of leadership? Okay. All right. Great. Um, well, 
Let's check uh, this against your own experience and the experience of uh, the audience. So I was brought up uh, with uh, the idea that there are, give or take, four principal characteristics of, we'll call it the conventional organization. Let's see if this matches your own experience. So the first is that uh, we think of leadership as serial. Uh, in other words, once you achieve the office of leadership, you don't give it up <laughs> during the duration of your office. That's uh, a Supreme Court idea, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you complete your term unless, I guess what, you're impeached or something? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, it's serial. Uh, secondly, we tend to be brought up thinking that it's individual. Right? Mm. Uh, there's only one leader. It's a solitary role. And normally that person is designated as the authority or, or the position leader. Mm -hmm. The third element is that it's controlling. Mm -hmm. so the conventional leader believes it's his or her uh, duty to direct the uh, enterprise and engender the commitment of the members of the organization. Um, this would be the classic Harry Truman expression. Remember, the buck stops Stop here. here. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, we tend to think of the leader as dispassionate. Mm. So the leader recognizes people have feelings, of course, but someone has to make the tough decisions for the enterprise in a dispassionate manner. It's great. You not satisfy a lot of your stakeholders, but you always hear the expression, the mission of the enterprise must come first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that sound... Like the way you were brought up to of thinking about leadership? Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is um, in many ways those are the, the natural patterns that have been in place for a long time. And I, I think it's really interesting because obviously you've watched and you've seen how our concepts of leadership have changed. I, I remember one of the first things that I ever saw was this great man theory of leadership, which, you know, I, there are very few that can be leaders, and they're very special, and they've been assigned from birth kind of concepts. And and I love, uh, as you've just kind of walked through, and, and we'll touch a little bit more here in just a second on leader full practice or leader full organizations, the concurrent, collective, yeah. Yeah. collaborative, and compassionate aspect of it, because... I, I think for most of us in organizations, it, it, it's been uh, centralized and it's been controlling or at the very least it's been uh, limiting. Um, it, it's been something that people don't have access to and, and, and we really don't have a lot of ownership of. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a really, it's a challenging piece of framework. And, and, and I'm thinking here about... Um, that social benefit world, the nonprofit sector, whether we're talking uh, religious, educational, charity, foundation, whatever that may be, I, I think this is a really challenging concept for how we rethink this. Uh, would you, for, for just a moment, would you kind of step us through uh, the, the pieces, the tenets of, of, of Leaderful? You, you talked about concurrent. What does concurrent look like, and how does that contrast? I know you, you mentioned the serial nature, typically, of leadership. Would you talk us through a little bit more of that? Yes. Uh, I call these tenets the four C's. Okay. Uh, because they each begin with C, and they're designed to contrast specifically with those other uh, criteria that I just listed in the traditional organization. Yeah. So you're right. The first one is a contrast to the serial nature of conventional leadership, 
and that is that leadership be concurrent. And I would say that this is clearly the most revolutionary idea because what I'm saying here, Todd, is that there can be more than one leader operating in a team or organization at the same time. It's that last part, at the same time. So everybody is serving the organization uh, concurrently. But I also say that leadership should be collective, right? Yes. Uh, so what this means is that leadership occurs from people interacting together. Mm -hmm. The community is not solely dependent on one individual to mobilize action and make decisions on behalf of everybody else. It's almost as if everybody is sort of like lying around waiting, you know, for a marching order. Yes. And we know yes. that people are, we hope anyway, that yeah. people are already in motion. Yeah. So those are the first two C's, um, and then there are two more that I can also uh, elaborate on. Yeah, if you would talk a little bit more about, because I think um, we're used to, and maybe we don't label it as harsh as controlling. I think some people would, no, I'm not controlling, and yet that's kind of what it is. And you use this term collaborative here, um, and I think that has a very different type of uh, feeling to it. Talk a little bit more, if you would, about how that fleshes out. Okay, sure. And that is, in fact, exactly the contrast to the controlling nature of the conventional leader. Uh, by collaborative, uh, I'm suggesting that anyone, anyone in the group, anyone in the organization, can advocate uh, their views about how to manage things around here. But they should be equally committed to entertain and reflect on the views of others mm. in the community. So, what I'm essentially saying is that the members co-create the enterprise through a give-and-take exchange that let's call it through dialogue. Yes, yes. And then uh, there's one more C which is the contrast to the dispassionate and uh, I uh, declare that uh, leaderful managers should be compassionate. Mm -hmm. So by demonstrating compassion you extend this unadulterated commitment to preserving the dignity of every person, everybody in the organization. It's kind of a Gandhian principle, Todd, that, yeah. that each member of the community is to be valued regardless of his or her background, social standing, and even certainly regardless of his or her point of view. See, and, and, and I love this. Um, it, and what's interesting is as you were talking, I was starting to think about um, even shifts that we're, we're seeing in our in our culture and the way organizations are starting to embrace some of these tenants and I'm thinking about articles that I'm reading that are, are starting to talk they're, they don't have the full framework here of leaderful but they're starting to hit on a couple of these issues and I, I wonder if you would take us into a picture of what this looks like mm -hmm. in action yeah well Let's say you were to kind of uh, plop into a leaderful group and observe it. Yeah. In action. I, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed to know which person is the official leader. Because mm. everybody is participating and people contribute because they have the knowledge to share based upon their role based upon their expertise and certainly based on the problem at hand. Mm -hmm. 
So let me give you an, a, an example, and I'm sure you've seen this kind of uh, situation before, you know, where you're, you're in a team and everybody seems temporarily stymied in trying to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Happens mm -hmm. all the time. Feeling disconsolate, members wonder if they'll ever find a solution. Sure. Then all of a sudden, some member offers an idea, and this member could be anybody. Oftentimes, it's a surprise who it is, right? Yeah. And the idea may not be a mainstream idea, but one that has immediate appeal, which stirs the community's imagination. Well, soon everybody starts to throw out additional thoughts and tactics to build on this original idea. And, it, and, and for a moment there, although the moment could be, you know, 10 minutes, half hour, there's almost this breathless quality to the team's functioning as it becomes absorbed in this, let's call it this all-encompassing solution process. So in this instance, I would say that the team is experiencing collective leadership. It's not dependent on any one member, not, not the position leader, not this idea initiator. Mm -hmm. Everybody is participating in leadership at the same time. It's a it's a beautiful concept, and, and I think probably one of the questions that you get asked immediately that kind of follows this is, well, gosh, that sounds really idealistic. Who has the authority here? I mean, that's that's what it gets down to, right? I mean, you know, you, you brought up the Harry Truman quote before. Where does the buck stop in an organization like that, Joe? Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. People are bothered by this because, you know, we've been brought up thinking that, you know, someone has to make the final decision, right? But, you know, when functioning best, authority is shared among those who are doing the work. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that there might not be a designated official. You know, <laughs> someone who's, let's say, on the boundary of the organization that needs to communicate the group's efforts to other groups and departments. Mm -hmm. But the decisions are arrived at mutually. Mm -hmm. so, so there still may be a need for like officials, let's call them. Sure, sure, and, and, and I, again, I, I think that's still that's part of a, a collective that takes place, as opposed to the idea of uh, of just that uh, that individual who is always dictating. Yeah. Um, Let me give you another example. Yeah, please. Uh, by any chance, do you ever take take uh, uh, take in some classical music? Sure. Yeah. You do? Okay. Well, if you were to go to New York City, you might come across the most performing, the most foremost performing ensembles in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's called the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Some people probably haven't. I haven't, but I'll tell you what, our founder is a, a conductor by training, so oh. uh, he will more than appreciate this, Joe. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Perfect. Because... We tend to think, the reason I picked this example is that we tend to think of orchestras as rather imperial, right? With their conductors, usually they're male. They have, what, the long mane and the tails and everything, right? Mm -hmm. Almost a caricature. But there's something very curious about Orpheus. Guess what? They have no conductor. Interesting. Huh. Well, for every work, the members of the orchestra determine the concertmaster, the principal players, you know, because you change players sure. for each uh, piece. Yeah. 
Uh, if you now you uh, you had asked about what does it look like, you know, when you when you see a leaderful group in action. Well, like in rehearsals, you'll see all the members of the orchestra participate, you know, in trying to refine the interpretation, the execution. People take turns listening from the you know from the auditorium. Mm -hmm. Things like you know balance, blend, articulation, and in recording sessions, the entire orchestra crowds into the production booth to listen to the initial playbacks. Mm. That's unique. So if an orchestra can do it, well, why can't any any group, any nonprofit group? You know, and and that's funny. And and I'm going to throw one out here, and I um I, I wonder if you would just kind of see if this if this fits your concept. Um, as it goes forward, a team that always struck me, uh, I'm a, a pretty big sports fan, and a team I cannot stand, <laughs> but I had to respect, uh, was the Miami Heat, their 2012-2013 their championship team. And, and everybody kind of looked at the LeBron James and the Dwayne Wade and the Chris Bosh. Um, and I, I challenged actually a, an undergrad class one time, and I said, let me let me show you this. This is this is the the Miami Heat team picture, and in it you've got the owner, you've got the general manager, who's Pat Riley. He's probably one of the greatest coaches and general managers of all time. You've got their their coach Eric Spolstra, who's won multiple titles, and, and you've got these athletes who are paid so much money. And I said, who's the leader of that team? Mm. Well, everybody. Well, you know, it's LeBron, or it's it's Coach Bolstra, or it's Mickey because he's the owner, or it's Pat Riley. And I said, you know, what's interesting is when you start looking at that team, they all have their different leadership roles that they play. Because you've got a guy like Shane Battier who was on that team. Shane Battier is one of the greatest defensive players. So when it came to defense, his leadership was was taking place as they're flowing back and forth. When we talk about what does the culture of the team look like, well, they had a guy named Juwan Howard who happened to be, I don't know, about 37, 38 years old at the time, who was that, that veteran presence who was always bringing out that sense of stability and calm to them. And I, I, that was one of those pieces that just kind of stuck out to me because it didn't look the way we typically think organizations look. Does that fit at least somewhat in what you're talking about? I would say yes, and of course you're challenging my my NBA uh, uh, knowledge, and of course you're bringing up the Miami Heat, and you know where I'm coming from, right? I know in you're Boston. in Boston, so let's we could play that Boston a little bit better. Celtics fan. The Celtics, yeah, we probably could talk <laughs> about the Celtics from the '80s. Right, but I will say one thing: um, uh, in in some of the interviews that I've observed with uh, LeBron James, at different points. He tries to deflect, doesn't he? Yes. The responsibility, the the onus of leadership by pointing out the value of, of his teammates and some of the other players. And it almost sounds like the press won't let him do that. And as soon as he does that, they they demean yeah. his his abilities. They say, Oh, you've got to be for So in some cases, you know, we're our own worst enemies mm -hmm. because the communication patterns of the culture seem to reify that well, you called it right. The 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 the, the one man philosophy. Yeah, yeah. That and I think that is you hit on the head, and I, I hadn't even thought about it from that sense. I, I know um, there were times that he has passed in a in a you know a, a 
a very crunch time moment, and people have have reflected on that. And, and I think that goes to the fact that he understood the dynamics of the, them as a leaderful group. That everybody played that leaderful, you know, that leaderful note, so to speak, at the right time. Um, I think this is interesting because you know here we are we're, we're working uh, our our audience here and us as a foundation we're working with a, a, an amalgamation a, a leaderful organization possibility um, because we have we've got board members that play roles we've got the executive director or whatever the the leader of that organization is called we've got staff members who play various roles. What what ingredients do we need in place for leaderful practice to, to, to begin to, to flourish? Okay. Um, you were also suggesting earlier, let's not forget this, about yeah. you know, how this may play out in the social benefit organization. Yeah, so, please. I'm sorry. Let me back should up. Should we do that I, first? Let me implement that then first, and then we'll talk about what ingredients. Yeah. Critical, okay, you got it. Um, well, when it comes to the social benefit organization, I'm hoping here that you'll help me out a little bit as I, yeah. you know, make a few observations. So, one thing I think we know about them, these these organizations, is that they must learn to effectively navigate and and build consensus mm. amongst their multiple and diverse stakeholders. It's a great point. So they need to reach out and collaborate across their networks. Many nonprofits also depend. Uh, at least in part on volunteer workers sure all right who are not wedded to the organization for income and they may choose to leave at any time yep that's a great so retention is a critical value in these organizations uh, there's also a desire for hands-on learning that's clearly transferable to the workplace and then we also have to identify talent and cases where staff members may be underutilized or maybe in a position where they're not giving all they can give, or what do we used to say, being all they can be, right? <laughs> Get an so, edge on life in the army. <laughs> that's right. That's that's the army organization. Same case. Yeah. So isn't this the rationale for needing to build leadership in everyone? Mm. You know, that's an interesting piece, Joe. And 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 I'm gonna harken back to some conversations that we were having back in March. We were talking in March about millennials, mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that we've seen in our research on millennials is the fact that they they want to bring their whole self to work. They they want to be part mm -hmm. of these kinds of changes, and I think you hit on something that connects the principles here. You're talking about they're not able to be all that they can be currently in our organization. Yeah, uh, I know you've you've had an expert on millennials and. Uh... I won't add much to to what uh, she was able to, to to talk about, but of course I deal with millennials all the time in the classroom now, right, Todd? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I, so I have some experience with them, and my take is that they're not like, uh, well, my generation. Uh, some of us were what '60s revolutionaries or something, right? I mean, yeah. we 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 want to challenge authority. Uh, these youngsters don't necessarily want to challenge authority or you know the power structure, but they want to be invited. Mm. And if you invite them, then they love to display their own autonomy and an own initiative. 
but it's not going to happen naturally. That's my take. Was that consistent with your talk last time? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting, again, that's consistent with everything that you've just showed us so far about leaderful practice and leaderful organizations. We've got to be inviting so that we can have this collective aspect so that we can collaborate because once somebody's invited to participate, then they're going to take ownership. They, they, want to, they want to be part of the outcome and, and it's not, well, you'll have your time in 20 years when I advocate, or, you know, I advocate my throne here, so to speak, but it's how do we do this concurrently? How do we do this together? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's absolutely fantastic. You, you're kind of hitting on the some of those ingredients. Um, so, so say our, we've got people out here that they're listening to this and they're saying, okay, but Joe, here I am right now. I, I'm, I'm that typical organization. You know, you you uh, you, you kind of talked about us. We're, we're serial leadership. There's that sense of individuality in leadership. It's, I don't want to say it, but maybe I'm a little bit controlling at times, and and maybe we. We forget the the passion and the compassion, and and so maybe we are a little bit dispassionate. How do we how do we start to maybe take baby steps to the elevator, so to speak, as uh, uh, we saw in uh, that movie? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, so let's take that on first, and then uh, but I, I I'm still tagging your interest in trying to isolate those critical ingredients, but first. Yeah. How do we begin? Um, and in the field book, in the leaderful field book, uh -huh. what I talk about is that change has to occur across a number of levels. It would be insufficient to initiate a change only at one or two levels. I talk about five. The individual level, interpersonal, the group, the organizational, and certainly among our social benefit organizations, the network level. Mm. So there are strategies for change towards a more leaderful practice at each of these levels. But for the moment, let me just pick one. Let's pick the group level. Okay. And uh, using what I'll call a facilitator role, because in each case, there are agents of change. Sure. And at the group level, I'm calling the agent the facilitator. Okay. And so as a start, the facilitator might suggest uh, to, let's say, a willing supervisor uh, to reveal, if it's really the case, mm -hmm. an interest in sharing leadership uh, to his or her entire team. So during the early phases, beyond just saying, you know, I'd like you all to, to feel empowered, I'd like you to participate in leadership, mm -hmm. this now will call him or her the facilitating supervisor might exhibit some initial leaderful behaviors like encouraging members to take some risks and, mm. and providing non-defensive feedback and, and valuing differences. Mm. And then over the course of time, the team might develop the necessary skills and taste for more of a collective leadership. So uh, there are strategies like this at each of these five levels that I take up in, in the book. Now, so, uh, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, a reminder to, to our, our audience, make sure you take a look at the, the links that are, are right on the web page next to this because you you need to flesh this out more fully. It, it's not a, hey, we're just going to throw open the floodgates and everything's going to go hogwash and crazy. 
Dr. Raylan, Joe Raylan is, is, has walked through this process. He, he lays it out in a helpful manner for you to be able to understand. So I, I really want to encourage you to take a look at that book. I'm sorry, Joe, for cutting you off. No, that's fine. Um, and in fact, I think I'll, I'll bring some of this uh, back in thinking through with you these uh, critical ingredients. Yeah. Uh, what would they be? Uh, let me point again to four. Um, so if, if individuals and teams are going to take on the leadership, right, uh, first thing, they're going to need resources. Mm. It could be informational, it could be monetary, uh, that will allow them to assume accountability for their uh, new uh, leaderful decision-making. Mm -hmm. Second, let's add a learning component, both in skills and attitude. Uh, so that all involved will be prepared to assume some shared responsibility. Uh, I think as you suggested, it's not a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. right? We've got to learn uh, some of the uh, necessary tools to be able to uh, exert oneself in particular circumstances. Yeah. Now, the third one, let's ensure that there be a commitment, especially on the part of management, to allow this leaderful behavior to proceed without taking back control at the first misstep mm. because we know they're going to be missteps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So leaderful practice requires trust in the first instance. You know, it requires time to take hold. So managers and supervisors need to be truly interested in sharing power and decision making and willing to abide by the decisions of the group and community that has assumed this responsibility. I have an example of that if you want me to go back. Yeah, please. Uh, well, let me just add the fourth and then I can come up with an example. Uh, the fourth is simply uh, uh, the ingredient of readiness. Mm. Well, leaderful practice works best when those most ready to assume the challenge. Okay, uh, an example of of uh, at least uh, not taking back control, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I have my glasses on to read right from the Leaderful book. <laughs> and, um, and in this case, um, I'm quoting from a former CEO of an insurance company, Hanover Insurance Company. Mm -hmm. uh, his name uh, was uh, Bill O'Brien. And this is how he described this experience, uh, exactly on the point we've been just talking about. He said, what kept me up at night? It was when I had to deal with poor performance. I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, I'd rather take a little more time and do it too late than do it too early. Hmm. Because I have a human being's life here. Finally, you get signals that tell you you've waited too long. Some of your direct reports are coming to you trying to drop hints that there are missed deadlines, a whole host of things. Well, I erred on being too late. I was late partially by design because I wanted to minimize the fear. For the most part, the fear in corporations today is very debilitating. So I wanted to keep us at a very low level of fear. I would rather have a lot of other people say it's about time Bill O'Brien woke up than having people say, where is O'Brien going to strike next? 
Mm. Mm. Very intriguing, huh? Uh, these are, are really important agree ingredients here, and I think that's it, it digs in so much. And let me, if I can, just step us to the next step. If somebody is saying, okay, those are the ingredients, what's the real benefit mm. to do that in my organization? What, what is it going to do for us? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to lay that out so at least people have uh, a sense of what they're striving for. Well, Absolutely. certainly a leaderful organization develops the capacity to take mutual action. I mean, I start right there. It, it ignites the natural talent in people to contribute to the productiveness and the growth of the uh, community. It also inspires genuineness among the members so that they can bring their whole person to work to be who they really are. Yeah. But people shouldn't have to play a role in their own or organization. And as they feel more authentic, they can feel more liberated uh, to be all they can be. Mm -hmm. And finally, a leaderful practice elevates the value of trust uh, in the organization. So it's a service-oriented approach, and it, it expresses a humility that seeks to serve others, that uh, does not seek power for its own sake. You know, people learn to count on others because they have learned that that each member, even the weakest member, will be kept in mind as decisions are made and actions are taken. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of an organization that doesn't uh, desire those things. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm coming up blank. Um, so I, I think Again, here we are, if we lay out the benefits and we say, hey, you want mutual action, you want genuineness, you want trust, you want a greater sense of humility in your organization, um, then, then here's how you start that journey. Here's how you lay that out. Mm. So, so we hear the benefits. Really, what, what issues are there? What are the typical issues, and how does leaderful practice challenge those typical issues? Because I think ultimately... If we can wrap this up in a bow for folks and we say, look, it's easy, or it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy, okay? But yeah. there's some real advantages to this, and this is how it deals with our typical challenges. What would, what would be that, that connecting point between the leaderful practice and the typical issues in organizations, Joe? Okay, uh, wonderful question. Um, because I really think it comes down to what are the essential values of the organization. You know, uh, whether it be the founder mm -hmm. of the organization or the succession of chief executive officers that uh, have come uh, ever since, the whole management team, what do they stand for? What are their values? And uh, I think I can contrast maybe again this conventional approach with the more leaderful approach in terms of the values. And we've, we've talked about some of them, but let me see if I can summarize. First, uh, the traditional organization um, focuses on what? The individual leader. Right? Uh, that uh, an organization is made up of you know, a series of individual leaders. Mm -hmm. And what we've been talking about is collective leadership. That everybody can serve as a leader, and leadership ensues from the interaction among people. Uh, so we don't have to isolate individual leaders, individual followers. You know, I think that's an ancient kind of personalistic uh, ethic. Secondly, when it comes to development, 
you know, we all like to talk about, you know, leadership development. I think in the classic organization, it's not really leadership development, it's leader development. Yes, right? yes, yes. You pick yes, out the yes. high potentials, right? Mm -hmm. And then you send them away for their leadership development. Mm -hmm. But that's not, leadership development is taking leadership to the group as it's doing its work and learning how to take advantage of each other and their respective uh, potentials. Uh, thirdly, a value that I think exists is that there's a focus on reason and intellect. Reason, in other words, we can figure things out. Um, all we have to do is, you know, consult some kind of a resource somewhere. Now, I'm not denying that, but in the leaderful organization, we focus equally on experience and practice. Right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, in some cases, it's a matter of you know coming up with a solution on the hoof, so to speak, yeah. as we improvise around the materials of our own situation. Mm, that's significant. Um, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I I love the the leader development versus leadership development piece because I, I that's one of those things that I see all all too often is we're simply looking, okay, who can we find to fill the seat and can we just invest in that one person as opposed to thinking about the relationships and the interactions. And I, I love uh, just the way that you, you've, you've put that out for us. Gosh, Joe, it has been uh, fantastic. And I, I'm really sad that we don't have about another hour to go into this. Um, but thank you for wetting our appetite. Thank you for, for really opening a, a new door for us to be able to start thinking about leaderful practice and, and what leaderful organizations can look like and how we can start to take these steps in our organization. Uh, I really, really want to encourage you. you you'll see on, on the website here, uh, you've got ways to, to see what Joe's doing, to see his work at Northeastern. Um, you've got the books there on the website. If you have questions, please shoot us an email. You'll find that uh, on our webpage here, and you'll be able to, to interact more fully. Um, Joe, you, you've told me in the past you, you're, uh, you're out on Twitter, and uh, that hashtag leaderful is something that you're, you're kind of presenting some, some different thoughts here and there for folks. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. So I really want to encourage uh, folks to join us on Thursday night, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, hashtag nonprofit chat. That's Thursday, April 16th, hashtag nonprofit chat. It's a great opportunity to interact with these ideas uh, on an individual and a collective basis. Here we are thinking about what does it look like in my organization, but also what does it look like from a communal perspective, how do we think about this? And Joe, you talked about the network uh, of social benefit organizations. How do we collectively engage these ideas? Um, Want to, as always, remind you, magazine, check it out, centervisionleadership.org slash magazine. Please, please check out the archives, uh, hangouts.centervisionleadership.org. Uh, I'm... I'm just humbled and thrilled to be with Joe Raylan today. Uh, if you didn't hear earlier, Joe is professor at Northeastern University, author of Creating Leaderful Organizations and the Leaderful Practice Field Book. Uh, please take a look. There, there's something there that's going to challenge your thinking and that's going to grow your organization. So, Joe, thank you for much, so much for joining us. 
appreciate so much your wisdom and experience on this topic. That's been a pleasure, Tom. Thank, Thank you. you. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you on Thursday. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>